that is so uh, much a, um, that is so much why uh, plurality and leadership is important. So that. Right, right, right. So stop it now. You're teaching my class um, all. <laughs> 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 Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, and uh, just very, very cool the way this conversation this morning uh, discussing these pastors in Canada that are being put in prison. Um, the title of this morning's lesson is Effective Prison Ministry. Um, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be through verses, hopefully get through verses uh, 12 through 26. Um, and we're going to talk about Paul's concerns, uh, Paul's love for Christ and his love for the gospel message going out, and uh, just the impact that that is made by being faithful and so let's open up in prayer. Lord, thank you again for today, and I just thank you for faithful ministers around the world today. Um, Lord, and I am so grateful, and I just uh, am so thankful for Paul. Lord, for the writings of the New Testament, the writings of the Bible all the way through. Um, Lord, that you have given us so that we can know and understand um, the relationship that you want to have with us. And Lord, our responsibilities in that, as well as the rewards to come for being faithful. And Lord, I just thank you for that. I pray that you would keep us uh, close and keep us clean before you as we look forward to your return. And I, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we'll read through 26. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare the more, all the more, to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the, the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being 
with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul wants the believers at Philippi to learn an important truth um, when, we, when we start in verses 12 and 13, that there are no accidents with God. Um, Paul is acknowledging that what he's going through was God's plan, and it's going to be the most effective way for the gospel message to go out. And so he's teaching them not to question what the circumstances are and whether or not um, God is in them or whether or not God can use the circumstances better in a different way. He's saying, if I've been faithful completely and this is what's happening to me as a result of my faithfulness, God will use it for his glory and it's the best use of what is happening to further the gospel. Um, and so when he says that, the Jews, their purpose of his imprisonment is to silence the gospel. And instead of that happening, the gospel is being advanced. And so it would be very easy, you know, we're talking about this, these Canadian, this Canadian pastor who is in prison. What would we know about that Canadian pastor or that church or the gospel message going out in Canada if he were not under persecution right now? What would we know about that? Nothing. What pastors in the United States would be either pushed closer to Christ and become more faithful or will be exposed for their great fear of persecution if this were not happening today? Say that again? You, you do. You, and it's not just because of the virus. The virus is just the excuse that they're using. Um, as we were talking before, that's the excuse they're using to put this pastor in prison, the reality is, is it's a rejection of the truth, okay? Um, they're, they're concerned about self-preservation more than they are concerned about spiritual warfare and the gospel message going out and people living at peace as a result of the truth. And so when you say things like that today, um, churches have closed all over the place for COVID-19, but they've closed for many other reasons too, and nobody says boo about it. You know, um, I mentioned earlier that earlier in the year this year, there were pastors that stood up, and I'm grateful for this. They stood up and they said, we're not closing our church as a result of COVID or the government or this or that. And when February rolled around and cold weather hit and snow came, they looked at the forecast and said, oh, we're closing church tomorrow. It's too dangerous for us to get out in this weather to go to church and made a judgment uh, and made a decision based on what could happen rather than saying, you know, I understand if some of you can't get out, we're still going to have church. Please come if you can. Um, we're going to gather. We're going to worship. We're going to read the scripture. And whatever happens, however many people can make it, great. And so they made the decision before the actual event that there's nothing going to happen in church this Sunday that we need to be a part of. Nobody's going to get saved. Nobody is going to be drawn into a more faithful relationship with Christ, you know, and, and you can go on and on. We make the decision ahead of God, ahead of Christ, that those things aren't going to happen. And so we, we create an atmosphere of, um, an atmosphere of, of, that we can choose and that 
obeying the scripture is all subjective on the circumstances around us. So that, and that's a bad place to be. Um, so the Jews' purpose was to silence the gospel, and, and of course, instead of this happens, it's being advanced. And, and so when Paul is writing this, um, he says in verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains uh, for Christ. In verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So if we, if we think back, um, we've read Acts chapter 21 um, in the past, and I'm going to just take kind of summarize this because I'll be there all day if I go there. But in Acts 21, Paul meets with James and the Jewish elders in Jerusalem and giving testimony with each other. They're sharing their stories, how Paul's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. There's Gentiles getting saved. Uh, James is saying, man, the Jews are getting saved as well. Um, they continue to hold to the Jewish traditions, but they're professing and they're living for Jesus Christ as they exercise their right to participate um, in the Jewish traditions. They're not acknowledging them in idolatry, but they're just saying, you know, we're going to continue to remember the things that, that the patriarchs taught us. Um, and then James goes on to warn Paul about the lies that have been spread about him and from the unbelieving Jews. And so saying that Paul was forbidding circumcision and urging them to turn away from Moses. Uh, Paul is advised then to join these four people, um, to join these four in, I forget what it's called, uh, purification rites. And he's asked to underwrite their expenses as, because they're relatively poor. So they asked Paul, will you underwrite the expenses of these four and join them in their pur purification rites? Um, and Paul moves forward with that, um, simply, there might be more to it than this, but anyway, why he does move forward with this part of that is to prove that what they're saying about him is not true. He's not telling people, don't circumcise your children. He's saying, you can circumcise your children if you want to, you don't have to for salvation. And so he's leaving them with that choice. If you want to be respectful of the Jewish traditions, fine. But understand this, it contributes in no way to the salvation of souls. And so he's, he's giving that and he's demonstrating that by how he moves into the, uh, the celebration uh, of the purification rites. And uh, so anyway, that doesn't work. And, and what ends up happening is they drag him out of the temple, they lock the doors, and they, they come at him with the intent to kill him. They're trying to kill him so that the, uh, the Roman uh, guard, the Roman commander with some officers and soldiers, they come to Paul's aid. And as they're, as they're taking Paul to the barracks, the violence becomes so great that they actually have to grab Paul, surround him, and they have to carry him in because they want to kill him. They want him dead. So... <clears throat> The Philippian people know, and they hear about this, they understand that he's already been in, incarcerated in Philippi. They know that he's been incarcerated in Caesarea, and now he's in Jerusalem, and they hear about what's going on there, and they realize that he's in a bad place. And so Paul is explaining to them, don't worry about me. God has already showed me through the Holy Spirit. Um, when we go to... to um, 
there's another passage in Acts, and I forget where it's at. But he has already explained, I think it's in 16 or 17, but anyway, he is, he's already said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit has not shown me yet what I'm going to experience there, but in every city I have been addressed by the Holy Spirit, this is what you're going to deal with here. And so when he goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't have a full understanding. He knows he's going to be persecuted. He knows he's going to be punished. But he doesn't have a full understanding until he gets there and the Holy Spirit shows him. And then here, um, while he's in prison in Rome, he says, this isn't the end. Don't worry about it. And we know that because a year earlier in Philemon, uh, I'll have to get to the verse to remember where it was at. If you want to turn to Philemon, I believe it was in 20, Philemon, right before Hebrews, little one chapter uh, book, Twenty-two. He says, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. And you're going to see that in Philippians as well later on. He says, as you pray for me, I am going to be released uh, because he already knows that this imprisonment is not the end. Um, God has already showed him that in Acts, um, Acts chapter 9, 15 and 16, I believe, is where God shows him. You know, he, he, uh, he, Jesus is talking to Ananias and he tells Ananias um, to go and and heal Saul He's, his name is Saul at this time or his, his Hebrew name uh, and he says because I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the for the sake of Christ and so there are things that that Saul or Paul is shown and then there are things also that he is demonstrated or he is shown to, on the way as he goes and as he follows God's leading the leading of the spirit from place to place. So the, the violence becomes, in Philippians 1, he's describing to them, he's telling them not to worry because we read in Acts 21 that the violence became so uh, intense um, that, the, that the officials um, and that the soldiers actually had to carry Paul to get him into the barracks. And of course, on the steps of the barracks, we know that, that Paul has the opportunity to stand there and he addresses the crowd in Aramaic. And they all listen intently to what he's saying until he gets to the point where he says, God chose me to bring the gospel message about Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Oh, now you've done it. Boom. Get him out of here. Rid the earth of him. And so they, they just blow up um, about this, uh, about the statement that he made. So when the Philippian believers hear of this, they're deeply concerned for Paul's well-being and... Uh, and Paul reminds them that what he's going through is God's plan. So while Paul is in Rome, all that came in contact with him heard about Jesus Christ. So while he's in Rome, he's chained to a guard. He has his own place and he has some freedoms, but he's chained to a guard around the clock. People are able to come and go and consult with him. And every person that comes to consult with him hears about Jesus and sees Paul's love for people and for Christ at the same time. They, it is well known that he's not in prison for being a lawbreaker, but for preaching Christ. So when we listen to things in the news about pastors being put in prison today, 
for whatever the excuse may be, they broke the civil law in this way, that way, or the other. The bottom line is, it's a rejection of the truth. Um, the bottom line is, is there is a civil law, much like in Paul's day, there was a civil law in Rome that said you can, you can believe whatever religion you want to, just don't evangelize. Hey, did you hear about Jesus? Paul, you're going to jail. You can't do that. I'm sorry. Paul says, I cannot deny my Savior, my Christ, my love, my life. And so he proceeds to obey Christ over the civil law, suffers the consequences, and boom, the gospel explodes because Paul goes to jail and every other believer is going, what do we do? And they pick up the torch and they go, we need to take the gospel that Paul is teaching and go forward with it. And they become emboldened with it. They're just pa they become more passionate about it. And so <clears throat> that plan doesn't work. So in verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So in verse 15, he says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The positive response Paul received in the face of opposition causes others to speak more courageously uh, and more fearlessly for Christ. Paul's confinement was Paul's confinement was doing what his circumstances outside the prison could never do. Uh, I, that's not my don't that's not my saying. I read that in in a commentary, and all of a sudden the light clicked on. The gospel message would have never exploded the way it did without Paul's imprisonment and without Paul going to jail and news about that spreading everywhere. So when that news spreads, the news about the Canadian pastor spread, that's why I asked that question earlier, how does the news about a pastor being put in jail or the one who was in the Middle East here a couple years ago, I forget his name now, uh, but was there, he was in prison for a couple years, and uh, he was abused. Uh, he, was, he was severely persecuted um, and, and taken from his family. That news traveled around the world about that pastor who was suffering for that entire time. Uh, and that caused, I believe, many pastors, first of all, to be in prayer for him, for that man, but also to make a stand also, to go to the mission field caused other believers to probably go out in missions more than what they would have done had nothing ever happened or had no news about it been spread around the world. So the Canadian pastors we're hearing about today, we say, oh, they're wrongfully, con you know, they're being wrongfully accused and, and we can rally around and say, leave them alone. Um, but Paul says in this particular instance, let it go. I'm going to write letters, and <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful Paul sat in prison. So, how you doing? Good. Um, and so I so often thankful, am thankful for the persecution that Paul went through because we can have the gospel today because of what he suffered. And so I, I'm, I'm, I am... I pray for those who have been, you know, imprisoned for the gospel, 
But I also say at the same time, Lord, thank you for what they're going through, and I pray for them to be faithful to, uh, to him so that more people who follow Christ will uh, be more passionate about it. So in 15 through 19, he says, This is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And he says again, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So Paul doesn't care if there are people that are preaching and they're giving the truth and they're jealous of Paul. And how we know that they are preaching the truth is because in Galatians, he very clearly says that there are some who are following doctrines that he does not teach. And he rebukes them very sharply. Okay, but here he's not saying they're not, he's not telling the Philippians they're not giving you the truth. He says they're giving you the truth, but they're just not doing it and loving me at the same time. And he's going, but that's okay. As long as they're giving you the truth and you obey the truth, that's all right. And he rejoices in that. There's another group of people that are giving the truth because they love Jesus Christ and they love Paul both. And it's, it's almost difficult to see that there's a, that there's sim, the similarities because a person can't love Christ and hate their brother. Um, <clears throat> but what Paul is saying is what's coming out of their mouth is true. Don't look at their life, but listen to what they say because they are giving the truth. And so there's two groups of people that are doing this. Um, Paul is going to rejoice that the gospel was preached either way. Okay, so the message, the truth about Christ is being heard. And so he's convinced, of course, that he will be delivered as well. He states in Philemon 22, we, we read that already. Um, he mentions the, the Spirit of God. Uh, and I forgot where it's at, I should have marked it here. Uh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. In verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so what he's referring to there is he understands, as we read in Philemon as well, that their prayers and the Holy Spirit inside of him has already told him, they've already, he's already been uh, informed that this was not going to be the end of his life. And this is important because he goes on, we'll read in just a few minutes, he goes on to talk about his own life and, and the significance, how important his own life is. So as he goes on, he says, the Holy Spirit is not only the Spirit of God the Father, but is also the Spirit of Christ the Son. So if we look at Romans 8, 9, there's a couple passages that make the connection <clears throat> of who the Spirit is sent by. So Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed... 
the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So then turn to uh, Galatians 4, 6. We're just going to look at a couple passages on where the Spirit is, is from. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And let's read verse 7 as well. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So did God the Father send the Spirit, or does Jesus Christ send the Spirit? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a good answer. If we go to John 14, and Jesus makes this very clear, and he is, he is stressing as well, you say John, 14? John 14, he's stressing as well that he and God the Father are one. And of course, we know that that is the, the reason that the Pharisees use for putting Jesus on the cross, and they, they're saying that he's blaspheming God because there's no possible way that he could be God. And Jesus is, is telling them, he's assuring them by the Old Testament law as, and the prophets as well as the, uh, the miracles that he has performed, uh, how he was born, all these things. He, he confirms that he is God and he is the Son. So John 14, verses 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. A simple statement, a simple truth. Um, easy to understand for each one of us. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So in that statement, <clears throat> where does the Spirit come from? Who sends the Spirit? The Father. Okay, so turn to verses 25 and 26 in the same chapter. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and I will remind you, and excuse me, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do, not give, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So then if we jump to chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, and this is all in the same conversation, in the same evening, in the same hour um, that Jesus is giving all of this information. He says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, who sent the Spirit, Jesus is saying, I am going to send him, and he's coming from the Father. The Spirit of truth who gives out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you, will also, you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. <clears throat> if we jump to 16, just go down a few verses to chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for you, your good that I am going away. 
And unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the third part of the triune God is sent by the other two parts of the triune God to be our advocate, to be our comforter. So then when we go back to Philippians, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit they receive um, in Acts when they receive uh, and they believe in their hearts and they give their life to Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit, comes from God the Father and comes from Jesus Christ. Uh, and there are several other places in uh, Paul's letters that describe that, uh, that, that I didn't mention. And when we get to verse 19, he says, For I know that, with, that through your prayers and God's provision of the, the, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so when the reality um, of what he's writing in these next few verse, verses, the reality of what is waiting for him and the understanding of what is waiting for him makes him anxious to leave. Um, and in that, he's still going, but God has more work for me to do, so it's more beneficial for you to stay, and because I love you, I'm going to stay, I want to stay, I want to share the gospel with you. Come with me. <laughs> you know? So when I read that verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, for me to live is Christ. I'm, I'm more in love with Jesus Christ and his message and the Bible today than I've ever been before. And I want more people to know that. I want more people to stand with me, uh, to be there with me when that time comes, when, when the rapture occurs. To die is gain. If God says it's time today, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. It's done. I'm fin he's finished with my part of the gospel message going out and it's being passed on to somebody else. And so that's the, that's the, the relief and the peace that Paul experiences that if I die today, so be it. Hallelujah. Awesome. If I live today to continue to share the gospel message to you and with other people and watch as the gospel goes out through you and from Jesus Christ, praise God even more. And he's, he's grateful either way, and he's rejoicing either way, no matter what the circumstances are, as long as the gospel message continues to be preached and to be pushed forward. So, in verse 22, he says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. <clears throat> I think that's important to, be, to remember. Um, uh, one of the things that I had to repent of this week is, is the number of times that I realize now that I've been casual with my time. And what I mean by that is not casual and just, you know, okay, I'm letting my mind wander and it wanders into sin and that kind of thing, but being casual about, okay, I'm going to work today. <clears throat> I'm making my plans for, for this, that, and the other throughout the day and realizing that I'm, not planning for the opportunities that are going to come. 
and realizing that I'm not planning to be intentional about sharing Jesus Christ like Paul did here. Every person that knew Paul, that had, hey, how you doing today? Let me tell you, I mean, and maybe it wasn't this type of conversation where, how are you today? Let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, you know, maybe it didn't go that way, but there are times, like uh, this week, uh, I was praying with a couple people, and Lord, there's a guy coming in on my schedule this week, and I know he has physical ailments, and he has concerns about his health right now. Lord, help me to expose him to you. And so the guy comes in. I said, man, I, I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you. I don't know where your spiritual standing is, but Jesus Christ loves you. And if you want to know more, let's talk. If you want to know more, come back. Uh, if you want me to come to the hospital when you go get your checkup done, I'll be there. Um, let me know, I'll do, and I'll do everything that I can to, to help you understand that there's an eternity, you know. <clears throat> and sometimes that makes people go, ooh, uh, get away from me, you know. Um, but I've seen more and more times, even in that, those circumstances, that people go home and they think about what was said. They contemplate, you know what, the, the possibility that I'm only going to live one more year is very real. The, the, the possibility, um, <clears throat> you know, that I could get some horrifically terrible news is very possible. And no matter what I think or how I feel about it, the reality is, is every one of us, every person at some point is going to die. And they have to make a decision on what they're going to believe in that circumstance, in those circumstances that they're in. And so most of them, even though they may not convert to Christianity, they will question. Uh, they will want to know what you know. Uh, they want to know what the Bible says about it. Uh, and so, and that's our responsibility. It's not my responsibility to convert people to Christ. It's my responsibility to give the gospel message in a clear, understandable way so that they can make the decision to follow him and the Holy Spirit draws them. Yeah, you, you started to ask a question. I won't hit you. Right. Well, the, and that is true. But what is today doing for me for this week? Exactly. Preparing myself for what Paul says, fruitful labor. I can come into church and I can listen and I can learn and I can understand the scripture better than anybody else. But if I don't take it, and go to somebody else and say, I love you, and Jesus loves you, and I want to tell you. It doesn't matter. All I'm doing is, okay, give me more, give me more, give me more. Ah, my cup never overflows. Okay? Um, there is no reproducing of or, or teaching and discipling other people. So, <clears throat> a lot of pastors come in. And they go, I'm going to equip you so that you can go evangelize. All right, I'm done. Go do it. And is that their responsibility on Sunday? Yes. Their responsibility is to serve one another, equip one another, to go out and do the work of the ministry. But the pastor has to continue to lead by example by doing the same. And so um, 
Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's difficult. Uh, I don't usually have too much difficulty talking to people that I don't know about Christ because I talk to them and they don't, they don't have any uh, expectations of me already. The expectations are being determined as the conversation is going on. And so it's easy for me to walk up to somebody and just start talking to somebody and say, you know what, you know, praise God today. I, I, just, I just love him so much. Hey, what, what's, your, what's your beliefs, you know, and just start asking questions. Where people that know me, <laughs> my own family, people that know the things that I did as a child, the things that, you know, that I, I said I was a Christian and years later all of a sudden I fell into this sin and then got, and repented. You know, and all the people that know all that kind of stuff about me, those are people that are difficult to talk to for me because, well, they know me. You do. But the cool part about that is why God tells us that the body of believers is so important is so that you learn to love me even though you know everything that I've done. Right. And she knew that the way you handled it, you were a true believer. And how did she know that? By the way you, by the way you responded and, and handled the situation. <laughs> right. Because right. <laughs> she's questioning the other family member whether they're right. a believer or not because of the way they responded and handled the situation when they fell into sin. Right. And the important thing is there is is staying in the scripture and understanding how Jesus loves us. And we are to do that. And so we can look at, I mean, all of my siblings, and I, I, don't, I don't knock one or the other. I pray for all of them the same. Um, but <clears throat> when we get to a place where, and ironically, one of my siblings looked at me uh, when I did fall into some sin that was exposed and it was known by everybody, he looked at me and he says, you know, he says, one thing we've got to remember is nobody is immune to temptation. Every person, and, and we read that in the Bible, he, we read that in Corinthians, that, that every temptation is common to everybody, anybody can fall into it, and there's always a way out provided, and everybody chooses differently. But God still offered the same offer to every individual through repentance. And repentance means that you set up guardrails in your life to not permit you to go there. And you establish in your mind, Lord, I am going to love you more than I love myself. So I've experienced temptations regularly for the same sin since then. What makes it easier is getting in the scripture reading about and hearing about from pastors and teachers, hearing about Christ's love for me and hearing about what he did and understanding more and more about that. And as we move in that direction and we continue, he says, draw unto me, draw unto me. And your desires will change into the same desires as mine. He says, I'll, it, the word says, I will give you the desires of your heart. The reality is, is if, you, if you're drawing to me, you are 
changing the way you think. Your mind and your heart are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and your mind will want the things that Christ wants for you because you'll realize and understand that those are the best things. Right. Right. I'm chuckling. I'm chuckling because those who are not right. close to you, they may hear about your sin and how you respond, but they're not going to see the response. Right. So, you know I love you, right? <laughs> okay. Some of the most recent, <laughs> some of the most. <laughs> So, with that in mind, some of the most recent difficult conversations that you and I have had with each other, would it be easier for me to take the Bible and say, you know what, I have to do this, or would it be easier to say, I see where you're coming from, I'm going to do my best to make things not so difficult between us. Right, and you're speaking from your perspective, but I'm speaking from here saying that it's more difficult for me to say to you, I know this is what we did in the past. Forget about my bad example, and let's follow the Scripture together. That is the most difficult conversation for me to have with my family members because you know for how many years, we've been married almost 30 years, and you know up until just a few years ago that I went, well, yeah, okay, a Sunday off a couple of times, three times a year is okay. And, and <laughs> I want a vacation, you know. And, and I've become more and more in love with God's Word and more and more in love with this assembly right here that this is where I want to be. It's not because I'm opening God's Word now at this point. At one point it was. I was opening God's Word, and I did just like many of us have. We, we've gone, that's not what I've been taught. So if you want to go on vacation, you've got to take everybody's <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not true. The, the simple, and, and, and I'm not, I, don't say, I don't say to you, Larry, you better be here on Sunday. No, I don't. <laughs> no, well... And the only reason why, the only people that I do say things like that to are, are people that come to me and ask, yes. where am I doing the right thing? And it's, it's at that point that the Holy Spirit has already said to you, okay, I want to change this. Okay, this is the next step in your closer walk with Jesus Christ. This is the next step into being transformed into the image of my creator because he shows you something that he wants to change and then all of a sudden inside you there's just oh i don't want this stress and the stress comes when we say here's me and here's the spirit of god in the spirit realm going who do you love who do you want to be more like and so when we feel that, and, so, and, and James says, count it joy when you fall into a trial, when you fall into a, a situation where there's a, a struggle or a little bit of a war going on within you, 
to understand that it's to bring us to a closer understanding, a better understanding of what God wants and who he wants us to be. So my job is not to be your conviction. My job is to give you the truth and let the Holy Spirit work in you. And if it takes you two years to get to a place that it took me 20-something years to get to, I, I say hallelujah. But at the same time, I, I'm beginning to understand now um, why it's so, it was so important, and I didn't understand it then, why it was so important and how I taught my children. And I pray now for the opportunity, and you guys that have prayed with us during men's Bible study, you've heard Wayne and myself uh, pray for our kids. Uh, pray for your children's future spouses. Uh, pray for your future grandchildren uh, and those that are coming up so that you can say something today that's going to make the next person that hears that think about Jesus Christ and how important it is to live that way every day. And not, I, I don't sit and go back, or I try not to, I should say. I, I, I don't like to do this. I catch myself doing it once in a while, going back and saying, man, if I'd only done this, I can't change that. I have to continually lay that at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I know, I know you've forgiven me for that, and I can't change it. Help me today to do something to change it for tomorrow. Have you ever heard this? Well, that's not what you used to do. <laughs> Our memory... Yeah, and that's... He's without, without, without honor. Right, but see, but Jesus, they're looking at that saying, you're Joseph's son. You're no better than anybody else. You're Joseph and Mary's kid. You know, I, we saw you playing in the street just like all the other kids. Right, and he was probably falsely accused at times. Why did you do that to your brother? You know, uh, he might have been, I don't know all the details of that history, uh, but he probably very likely could have been falsely accused when he was a child as well. But what we do know, from the time that John the Baptist baptized him, there were people that went, wow, this looks ex a lot like what Isaiah said. Is it really him? And they walked away and they went, no, there's no way. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And they walked away, and they chose not to believe, even though the, the proof was right in front of them. The evidence that Jesus is who he says he is was right there. And so <clears throat> they have to choose. Each individual has to choose to believe what the Bible teaches them, and they also have to choose that when the Bible shows me something that I'm not doing that I should be or that I am doing that I shouldn't be, we have to be open enough and sensitive enough to what God is doing and fully surrender to the scripture enough to know, okay, God, you want to change this about me. It's going to be difficult because I still want to hang on. I want to retain a little bit of control. Um, and he's saying, I love you. Just let it go. Let me have all of you. And, and as long as we're moving in that direction, that's the evidence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. All right, we're out of time. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys.